I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge the season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Joseph Stalin's daughter probably never imagined that by 45, she'd be married to an American, summering amongst cows in Wisconsin and wintering amongst cacti in Arizona, mothering a newborn baby, and fending off a quasi-mother-in-law she thought could maybe potentially end her. <laughs> it's funny how that happens. I also had different plans for my life. I thought I was going to live in New York forever. But then I met the right guy who pushed me to take a giant leap of faith and leave everything behind to move to a city I'd never even visited. I want to take you to deserts and oceans. That's a song I wrote for Jordan at our wedding in Portland a few years later. See, that's the thing about choosing to spend your life with someone. It feels like this big, scary, exciting leap into the unknown, and then suddenly you have a floor under you for all time. <laughs> that is unless it's not the right person, or the right time, or the right circumstance. And then it turns out that the floor was made of glass, and someone stomped too hard. Listen, there are challenges to every marriage, and Svetlana was willing to do everything in her power to make the marriage work. 
But there are some challenges that are pretty hard to overcome. Like a woman in a golf cart who might want to kill you. My name is Dan Katroser, and this is Svetlana Svetlana. You wake up in the morning, you live your day, and then you do it tomorrow and over and over again. One, well, we have ruined it. When we last left Svetlana, it was a sticky, sweaty day in Spring Green, Wisconsin, and strolling through the small cemetery abutting Taliesin, she had come upon a grave that bore her own name, Svetlana Peters. It felt like a warning. When I saw my name, Svetlana Peters, I thought, oh my God, you know, That's how it will finish, with me. And little baby Daniel Peters, who lay dead and buried next to his mother, was an omen for her baby Olga. I was afraid. I was afraid for her life. And the source of that fear? Mrs. Wright could... I I was was scared of her. Excuse me, I I just get... My my, my heart starts racing like... like, Would you like to stop? No... This interview is recorded by Roger and Harold about 30 years after the fact. But Svetlana still talks about Olga Vanna as if she's right there, breathing down her neck. She tells this story about taking a walk with baby Olga in her arms and coming across Mrs. Wright, roaming the expansive property on her golf cart. She invited us to sit down to that cart and we would go on that road down to the lake. Svetlana squeezes onto the seat, cradling the baby with one hand. By Svetlana's account, Olga Vanna suddenly has a need for speed. She's flying down the rolling hills, kicking up dirt. Her passenger is panicked. She, she, I think she could just kill us, throw us to the lake. I don't know what. She was that kind of a person. Frightening, frightening, frightful person. Okay, just to recap, Svetlana thinks Olga Vanna could kill her and her baby daughter and throw them into a lake. There was only one thing Svetlana could do to ward off the evil that was lurking around her and her daughter. I wanted to baptize her as sort of protection. <laughs> she wants to baptize Olga as a sort of protection. Svetlana was a very spiritual person. It was her grandmother, Olga's namesake, who had instilled in her a strong sense of faith from a young age. Svetlana's father had even started out in the seminary, studying to be a priest. Of course, a little later, he all but outlawed religion in the Soviet Union. So, you know, holidays were always a little complicated at the Stalins. Wes is on board with the baptism. He even knows the perfect spot. So, in September of 1971, Svetlana and Wes find themselves in Milwaukee at the Greek Orthodox Church of Annunciation. Neither Svetlana nor Wes are Greek, Orthodox, or Annunced, but this church was designed by Frank Lloyd Wright, and it was being consecrated for its 10-year anniversary, 
The Archbishop Yakovos had come all the way from Greece for the big affair. Hello, Yakovos. So there is little baby Olga in the arms of Yakovos, a sea of Taliesin fellows waiting in the pews before her, and behind her, a painting of Mother Mary cradling Jesus. And I shit you not, that Mary and Jesus were modeled off of the deceased Svetlana and her baby Daniel. This is where the phrase WTF comes from. Little baby Olga is covered in fragrant oils and dipped in holy water three times during the five-hour ceremony. Just to put that in context, that is one hour less than Franco Zeffirelli's landmark film, Jesus of Nazareth. Let your hearts now be cleansed. Wes is beaming. Svetlana dubs it the best of all possible baptisms. Everyone is happy. Everyone, that is, except for Mrs. Wright. She was angry from the beginning. So she's angry at the beginning, but certainly by the end, she's less angry, right? No, at the end, she was more angry. Oh. See, Olga Vanna is pissed that this whole event, this event that should have honored Frank Lloyd Wright and the Fellowship, has been overshadowed by Svetlana and her small, stupid baby. A baby can't make a church. As soon as the ceremony is over, Mrs. Wright hauls ass out of Milwaukee, skipping the big celebratory dinner. And just to be clear, when Mrs. Wright isn't happy, it's not like she keeps it to herself. Her absence is loud. When we returned, she called Wes, of course, late at night, and she gave him great talk. And when she returns to me, she said, well, we have ruined it, you know, we have ruined this celebration. I feel for Wes in this moment. He'd wanted to do something nice for the two women he loved, and it blew up in his face. He felt that he to blame. He was very easily taking blame on himself. Well, I I was, at this point, I, I didn't even talk to her because I thought that she was some kind of a dragon. So Wes is trying to smooth things over, but then he has to go back to Iran to keep working on his palace. Obviously. And so, that fall, the Taliesin fam returns to Scottsdale, and Svetlana is left alone with her freshly baptized baby, just steps away from the dragon woman she thinks could kill her. With Wes away on business in the Middle East, the tension between these two women escalates to an untenable level. There's the evening Svetlana is having dinner with Olgavana and Yavana. Rosemary Sullivan documents this one beautifully in Stalin's Daughter. She said to Olga Vanna, you know, Wes works too hard. He's always working. He's never free. It's going to be hard on his health. He's going to die, cries Svetlana. Through gritted teeth, Olga Vanna growls, so will you. <laughs> so, pretty frosty uh, dinner parties. And then there's the time Svetlana, according to friends of Taliesin, threatens to burn down the place for the third and final time. I think that was probably a hilarious joke, but Olga Vanna hires private security. On Christmas Day, it becomes clear that their differences might be irreconcilable. Olga Vanna shows up barefoot at Svetlana's front door and offers her a pair of diamond earrings, a gesture of reconciliation, let it be known that this is exactly the kind of olive branch that I expect from anyone who has ever wronged me. 
But Svetlana isn't having it. She throws the earrings onto the ground, exclaiming, You cannot buy my friendship! When Olgavana's daughter, Yvana, hears this, she screams, I'll kill her! What surrounds Taliesin West is desert. There's a vastness to the landscape. But even with those majestic mountains and that epic sky, Svetlana felt suffocated by Olgavana, Yvana, and every small infraction to her hard-fought freedom. After Christmas, she moves out of Taliesin. She buys a house in residential Scottsdale and writes Mr. and Mrs. Peters on the deed, because her beloved husband will of course be joining her shortly. Won't he? More after the break. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Act 2. Our House. January 1972. Don McLean's American Pie hits number one on the billboards. Women's livers are trying to get the Equal Rights Amendment passed. And Nixon announces he's going to pull 70,000 troops out of the Vietnam War. Svetlana has pulled her own kind of withdrawal. After the tumultuous autumn back at Taliesin West, Svetlana and West jointly purchase a house. And by jointly, of course, I mean that Svetlana paid for it and Wes's name got to be on it. This is a huge deal. 
Svetlana had been asking for their own family home for months and months, and now she had one, a fully furnished house in a resort area of Scottsdale called Mountain Shadows East, cream-colored with a wood-shingled roof and a uniform guard at the complex entrance. It was perfect. But Wes, dear Wes, loyal royal charcoal broiled Wes, he has no intention of ever moving in. I would say she half believes he's going to follow her. One has to say from the outside that he's not a courageous man. Yeah. Yeah. Wes wasn't incapable of leaving. He'd done it once before as a young man with the first Svetlana. Disillusioned with life at Taliesin and determined to make it on their own, Wes and Svetlana dramatically ran away together. In letters from that time, Wes is positively vitriolic, calling Wright a scaly rascal, Olgavana a crazy, dirty, feminine demon, and Taliesin a canker. Ooh, burn. But life outside of the womb of Taliesin was hard. Wes couldn't walk on his own as an architect. He needed his father figure. He married the king's daughter and he found his king and he had to serve him. And he needed his mother figure. Here's Celeste Davison. He was so devoted to Mrs. Wright, he practically laid on the floor in front of her. So Wes and his bride crawled back to Taliesin. Wes didn't want to be the king of his own castle. So here's Svetlana, married to a knight in King Arthur's court. He's taken a lifelong oath of loyalty, and a wife and kid aren't going to change that. But Svetlana has no desire to join the royal court. She'd already been a princess. All she wants is autonomy and privacy. But even that proves too much to ask. One day, at her little house in Scottsdale, there's a knock at the door. She opens the door a crack, still in her house dress, and finds a male reporter from the Arizona Republic. Before Svetlana can close the door, the reporter has taken a snapshot of her new single life and then asks her about the apparent separation she is embroiled in, with Wes still living over at Taliesin West and she and her daughter in this gated community. Svetlana didn't think they were separated in any sort of pre-divorce sense. She's still hopeful that this is a transitional period of their relationship. All she tells the reporter is that while she is done with communal living, she is still all in with her husband. The NBC Evening News had this to report. Svetlana Stalin Peters and the man she married two years ago seem to be headed for a divorce. The husband, William Peters, said today they got married too fast and that his wife walked out on him. Stalin's daughter said she objected to communal living, and that's why she moved out of the architectural foundation for which her husband works in Arizona. The Arizona Republic frames the ensuing media chaos brilliantly as a, quote, dink and lob tennis match, with American spectators looking on as Wes and Svetlana, quote, sud their marital linen in public. That's right, or shall I say, that's right, with a W. Svetlana and Wes both confess their disappointments and marital failures not to each other, but to reporter after reporter. So now, in a thrilling tour de force performance, I and I alone will perform a selection of direct quotes from this heartbreaking media circus. Svetlana, I was back under dictatorial rule. I just couldn't do it. Wes, her mind has been conditioned by years of communist training. Svetlana, I only hope that he will not be a pawn for others or allow someone else to direct his private life. Wes, she rejected a life pattern which I helped build and I believe in. 
Svetlana, this is not a conflict between my husband and me. He is a gentle person. Wes, I don't want any two-bit suburban life. Svetlana, divorce? My God, I can't think of it. Wes, divorce is inevitable. Scene. What you just witnessed was theater. Listen, I don't know what Wes and Svetlana said directly to each other, or if they said anything at all, but I do know this time must have been incredibly trying. Svetlana writes, I was being tormented, and the press was continually at the door or the telephone. But still, she kept holding on to the hope that her husband might one day walk through the door of the house she'd bought for them. I want to take a pause and tell you how I've come to understand all of this from Svetlana's perspective. It comes from a manuscript of a memoir called The Faraway Music, which you've heard Cassie reading in this podcast. The third of Svetlana's memoirs, it details her time at Taliesin. I managed to find a copy at Amherst College's Center for Russian Studies in Western Massachusetts. In the middle of the winter, I flew across the country to meet up with my parents, Neil and Diane. And together we went to Amherst as snow blanketed the quad. For three days, I would wake up early and walk from the Jeff Inn to the Russian Center. I had to check my bags, but was allowed to take in my phone and a notepad as I furiously took pictures of each and every page of this mysterious manuscript, the one Svetlana could never convince any major publisher to print. The Russian Center Library was lined with giant samovars, intended to by the archivist, whose name was Nadia. She stayed in her office as I poured over the pages. Nadia was a Russian immigrant herself, having left her family back in the motherland and not having seen them for many years. I don't remember the specific thrill of each and every page I read, but I do remember the feeling when I reached page 130 in the book, the page where we are now, after Svetlana was told by her marriage counselor not to go back to Taliesin. A scene that I could see so clearly on the screen. A scene that broke my heart. Here's Cassie reading from that page. Once, I could not resist it anymore and drove to Taliesin. It's dark all the fellows tucked into the rooms after a long day. Svetlana walks up to the glass door of what was once her small apartment with Wes. My heart sank. All was as when I left. She enters softly, and then she sees him. I moved slowly into the sitting room, and there was Wes. His back to me, barefoot in his silk dressing gown, sitting before the television. He was sitting like that for a while, quite motionless. Then I came closer and touched him by the shoulder, weeping. He stands up, sad, pale, exhausted. You must go, he said, fearing that Someone might see me there. You shouldn't. You shouldn't. He was unable to say anything more. Neither was I. 
He walks out the door, barefoot, as Svetlana follows, and takes her towards her car parked amidst the cacti. Only the stars were glittering on a deep, dark sky. We did not talk. And then? I drove away slowly, still crying. I could see him in my driving mirror standing there by the roadside. The same beautiful desert road through which I was driven to Taliesin the first time. That was the last time I saw it. I could picture it. Svetlana driving through that desolate landscape, crying, feeling more alone than she's ever been. She'd come here with an American dream. Money, family, peace. But as she drives away from Taliesin that night, in the stillness of the desert, I imagine all she can hear are her darkest thoughts, her feelings of failure her father's voice in her head. You're a fool, Svetlana. I had to stop reading that day. There was no more breath inside of me. I looked over at the archivist, Nadja, and said, It's so sad. Her life was so hard. Nadja looked at me. She nodded half-interested, half-focused on whatever archival work lay before her, probably mostly annoyed. An immigrant in America herself, she probably thought, yes, most of our stories are hard. Some of us are still living them. More after the break. Claim comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. 
In the shadows of the afterlife, the Ferryman of Souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tail. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Act 3. Less of Wes. Svetlana wanted to be married to Wes. She tried so hard to save their marriage. And yet, the inevitable becomes official. They agree to a divorce. Here's Rosemary. When they finally divorced, uh, he put the blame on her. And then he finally said more honestly, I should never have let her marry me. Her finances are pretty grim. Of her 1.5 million, she was almost broke. There was almost nothing left. She knew that there was no point in trying to get uh, support from Wesley because he didn't have a salary. All the money he ever made went right into Taliesin. And she wanted to not have any grounds for acrimony or, or anger or complaint. She said, one day, he'll understand who I was. I cried for him for myself, for our small child. And gradually, I felt that all my hatred, or whatever it was, was leaving me. I've lost the game, in a way. But from the other point of view, I've won something, too. One day, Wes will recognize that. I'm not entirely sure what she means by that, but clearly Svetlana is trying to pick herself back up and start over again, like she always does. In the summer of 1972, Svetlana buys back her old house in Princeton, New Jersey. Wes accompanies his soon-to-be ex-wife and daughter as far as the Philadelphia airport, kisses them goodbye, and then immediately flies back to Taliesin. Svetlana is left starting over with a broken heart. I know what you're thinking. Back to Princeton? Another escape? A relationship demolished? New enemies forged? This is the same story again and again. A story about breaking out of old chains and then climbing into new ones. A cycle of obsession and then abandonment. Another fresh start. Except something's different now. Svetlana's a divorced single mother in her late 40s without the financial security she'd first come into in America and with a young child to support. And that child? Well, she grew up to be an adult. She's in her 50s now. She's changed her name, but I'll still refer to her as Olga throughout the podcast, both for consistency and because she's a very private person. I've spoken to her several times over the last year, both on and off mic. She's a wonderful storyteller who has lived a big life and gave me a lot of insight into her mother. But out of respect for her desire for privacy, you won't hear much of her voice in this podcast. The biggest thing I learned from her was that in these post-Taliesin years starting over again, Svetlana and Olga are everything to each other. No matter what challenges they face, it's the two of them against the world. 
I believe that without her, Svetlana would have done herself in or something, you know, she wouldn't have made it. But as a mother once again, a mother who tried to make peace with the loss of her two adult children back in Russia, the past was hard to shake. In December of 1975, Svetlana and Olga go to California for the holidays to visit Wes's sister and brother-in-law. So, imagine it. Christmas Day. Maybe there's jazz humming from the record player, or carols being played on the piano. Eggnog being drunk, presents being unwrapped, a family gathering on the holiest of nights. You can see it, can't you? A Russian emigre closing in on 50 with a four and a half year old. She doesn't have a job. She's all but given up writing as a profession. The woman who was born Svetlana Stalina was now an appendage, an American divorcee at the end of someone else's Christmas table. And then something happens. Svetlana gets up from the table. She makes her way to the telephone and she places a very long distance call. The phone rings and rings and rings. And then suddenly someone answers. If it was the evening in California, it would be morning on the other end of the line. Bunny, is that you? Svetlana asks. A gruff voice answers. Do you think you'd sound like yourself after nine years? That gruff voice? It belongs to Svetlana's son, Yosef. Bunny, as his mother called him as a child. And then the phone goes dead. Did he hang up? Did the KGB intercept the call? We don't know. Neither did she. Her heart must have ached, yearned. It had been nine years since she'd last heard her son's voice. You can see her, can't you? By herself, holding the receiver of a telephone, a dial tone playing a solitary solo while Christmas jazz plays softly in the other room. She had a whole new life here in America. But that didn't erase the previous one. The characters from the last chapter were still living on in a different book. And up until now, Svetlana had conditioned herself to keep those stories separate so she could move on to the next chapter in her life. But maybe this is the moment, here, holding the telephone, when Svetlana finally feels the urge to unify all those stories, where she feels the only way to move forward is to go backwards. And this, my friends, is Svetlana's cycle, doing the same thing over and over again. And over and over again. So on the next episode of Svetlana, Svetlana, we're going back to Russia. Svetlana Svetlana is a production of iHeart Podcasts and The Documentary Group. I'm your host, Dan Katroser. The show is written and produced by me, Adam Weber, Allison Joy, and Catherine Isaac. We also serve as executive producers. At The Documentary Group, our executive producer is Joe Batsilowitz, with production oversight by Stacey Klieger and additional support from Tom Yellen and Gabrielle Tenenbaum. Our iHeart team is supervising producer Casey Pegram and executive producer Maya Howard, editing assistance from producers Christina Loringer and Joey Pat. Original music by Ilan Isakov. 
Production Council by Sloss Eckhouse Dasty Haynes Lawco, Clearance Council by Ballard Spar. Fact checking assistance by Megan Trout. Special thanks to my husband, Jordan Siegel, and Roger Friedland and Harold Zellman, authors of the book The Fellowship, who kindly granted permission to include excerpts from their taped interview with Svetlana. Excerpts from Svetlana Aluyeva's book, The Faraway Music, are performed by Cassie Greer. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge this season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Clam comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts 